Isaiah 38 today. <clears throat> Isaiah 38, 9 through 20. And we'll pray before we get into God's holy word. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, that we have come to know you, or rather to be known by you. By Your Word working in us and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask You wipe away just a little bit more of that dimness through that glass which we we see right now. That we'd see You just a little bit more clearly today. We eagerly await that day when we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. And may our Lord Jesus come quickly as we anticipate that day. In His name we ask, Amen. This morning we'll look at the story of uh, King Hezekiah's sickness. And King Hezekiah was the king of Judah. He was one of the few righteous kings. He, he instituted uh, moral religious reforms, knocked down the high places. And it's interesting, he actually um, destroyed the, the bronze serpent that, that they had in the wilderness because they still had that at, at that time. And people began to, to worship it as an idol. So he even destroyed the bronze serpent um, and in an attempt to, to bring Israel back to Yahweh worship. And at one point, Hezekiah became sick. Sick, and God said, basically, get your affairs in order. You're going to die. Hezekiah cried out to God, and God answered his prayer and gave him 15 years more of life. Um, and I always kind of wonder about that. Like, man, 15 years, and like knowing when you're going to die, that, that'd be a little uh, unnerving to me. <laughs> um, but th- this is the context with, with which, within which we, we are um, studying today. And the story of Hezekiah's sickness is found in, in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Isaiah. But here in Isaiah, we have this account of Hezekiah's writing, which is only found here in Isaiah. Um, So with that context in mind, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 38, 9 through 20. And we will focus our uh, message today on 18 through 20, but we'll read the whole thing here. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me. Like a shepherd's tent, like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Uh, Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in these things is the life of my spirit. 
O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children of your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and he will pl- and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday. It's not really a Christian holiday. It's a national holiday, right? And it's kind of odd. I mean, you would not find me, for example, preaching a sermon on Veterans Day, even though I love you all, veterans. Um, but this is a national holiday. And I think it's you know my favorite holiday, perhaps, because any holiday that includes a theology of feasting is good in my book. But while Thanksgiving is not per se a Christian holiday, I will argue, as you already will agree with, that giving thanks is really one of the main reasons for our existence in our Christian life. So it is a good thing to give thanks to God. And so that's why I chose to to, uh, leave Galatians for this week and to focus on giving thanks as we go into this Thanksgiving season. Um, So that that big question that we all ask, what is the purpose of our existence? Uh, You know, answers range from, um, you know, just being no, no purpose at all, no greater purpose between me and a, and a bunch of fungus in the forest. Uh, it ranges from that to, to saying, you know, we're, we're a farm colony for, for a group of, of space aliens, right? Like, there's many answers for why we exist. And of course, the biblical perspective is a multifaceted answer, but one facet of that is we exist to give thanks to God. We were made and we, were, we are continually sustained for that purpose of thanking God. So that's really the main point of this message, is that we were made and are sustained to thank God. That's the big question. And so, thinking about this question, what is the purpose of life? I think the, all of our favorite answers, probably Shorter Catechism 1, um, what, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God. To enjoy him forever. First Corinthians ten says, Well, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And glorifying God is really a, a big umbrella term, but I, I think one of the, those triangles that makes up an umbrella is thanksgiving. We give thanks to glorify God. Um, so I think we can begin to get our head around Hezekiah's logic here. In verse 18, Hezekiah is almost reflecting upon his almost argument with God for why God should not kill him. He says in verse 18, For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you, as I do this day. 
So the, the basis of his argument is dead people don't praise you. Dead people don't thank you. They stink. They rot in the grave. I can't serve the purpose for which you created me if I'm dead. So please, don't kill me. Now, I, I wonder here, is he hoping somehow that God will shed a tear like, at the loss of, of poor Hezekiah's praise? Oh no, I'm not going to have Hezekiah's accolades anymore. What am I going to do? The self-sufficient, self-enjoying God is heartbroken over the loss of a few, a few praises from this one man. And yet, Scripture seems to tell us that Hezekiah's argument is valid. Other biblical writers do this too. In the Psalms we see it. And Romans 1 um, seems to confirm this. In Romans 1.21, those people who had suppressed the truth and unrighteousness about God, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. That's a main part of their purpose. That is one of their chief rebellions is not giving thanks. So it's of great importance to God that we be thankful to Him. It's important because it magnifies His name. It's it's an aspect, a major aspect of our worship. Satisfaction in God proves that we trust in Him and His provision for us and it glorifies God when we thank Him. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but there's an apparent, almost glaring error to, in, in Hezekiah's logic here. Dead believers, de- dead believers unarguably praise God better, right? If God wants perfect praise, He should kill us all. He should take us home now when we're, we can be free from sin and from, from the flesh and from the attacks of the devil and the world. We could worship Him so much better if we were dead. It's kind of like that question, why, why does God keep us here after He regenerates us? Once He saves us, why does he, why does he leave us here to just be in this state of sin and misery? Why doesn't He take us home? Well, if you think about that, imagine the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He gets converted and, and then poof, he, he's gone. Where would we be, right? It's, we're here to serve a purpose. So here's an example of how we can serve that purpose. Think about the simple act of making an offering like we just did and, and how it can multiply thanksgiving to God. Um, go, turn over, actually, you can read it with me. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 10 through 15. Second Corinthians nine ten through fifteen. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanks to God. You see that how how the Corinthian church made offering, and through the apostles they brought it to to the suffering saints in Jerusalem, and, and what does Paul say? He says their gift 
multiplied the thanksgiving to God. When those people received it, they thanked God. So by one simple gift, multiplied the thanksgiving of God. God keeps us here because He uses us as instruments, not just to praise Him ourselves, but to to increase thanksgiving on the world. Uh, one more example, if you flip back just a few chapters to 2 Corinthians 4, this one's more about missions or evangelism, but it's the same idea. Uh, first, 2 Corinthians 4, 13-15 Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So here, the the gospel has radiated from this sort of epicenter in Jerusalem out into the world, and as it's done so, it's increased thanksgiving. People are thankful for their salvation in the Lord to the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? It strikes me as amazing that part of the telos, part of the end game of spreading the gospel, of doing evangelism and missions, is that we increase thanksgiving to God. As as we spread the gospel, the the telos is not, you know, notches on our belt or numbers of members in our church or, or to transform society or really even to spread theological acumen around the world. Uh, Piper puts it well. He says, All of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and His Son among all the peoples of the earth. Missions is not that goal. It is the means. And for that reason, it is the second greatest human activity in the world. First being worship. Uh, That's a very Piper quote, isn't it? (laughs) The white-hot worship of God. But he's right on, I think. On the day a man hears the gospel, on that day, before he hears it, when he wakes up in the morning, he wakes up a grumbling malcontent and a thankless suppressor of the truth. And after he's heard the gospel and is saved, he goes home and he puts his head on the pillow and his thoughts are on Christ. And he offers up a simple prayer of thanksgiving. That's the goal. That's the telos. To increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So no, it's not that God needs Hezekiah alive to praise Him and thank Him. He could end his life and receive praise and thanks of a glorified person and and he doesn't need Hezekiah's praise anyways. But thanksgiving supersedes that one-on-one relationship. Thanksgiving is meant to be a, a worldwide spreading global phenomenon. So that's why Hezekiah is right to ask, don't let me die. Because he's a worshiper of God and he serves a greater purpose to spread thanksgiving beyond himself, radiating out into the world. And, and that's how it's meant to work, like ripples in the water. It starts from us and it ripple effects into those spheres of life in which we have influence. And that's what we see here in this passage, actually, for Hezekiah. We see this progression in the text now. Um, It begins with his personal thanksgiving, but then it radiates out into his family and then into corporate worship. 
So we'll look at that together and we'll, we'll look at it in terms of three exhortations that should help us as we go into this Thanksgiving season to, to thank the Lord. So the first exhortation is to give thanks personally. Give thanks personally. Um, I always think it's odd, like especially this time of year, you know, on social media or wherever, that you'll know somebody who's like a, a an unbeliever and maybe an agnostic or, or a, an atheist or something, and they start thanking. You know, they're thankful. I always think that's so strange. I would say, to whom are you thankful? I think gratitude has become a, a less personal affair. Um, from my observation, gratitude has become an expression of general happiness about my lot in life or, or a generic kind of acknowledgement of um, the goodness in our lives. But it's interesting because generalized, un, um, undirected thanks like that betrays the suppression of truth in their hearts. I looked up, there's a Harvard Health article, hardly a Christian uh, organization. It's called, In Praise of Gratitude. This is a, a quote from it. With gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. In the process, people usually recognize that the source of that goodness lies at least partly outside of themselves. As a result, gratitude also helps people connect to something larger than themselves as individuals whether to other people, uh, to nature, or a higher power. So deep down, people, unbelievers, know that gratitude has to be personal. To, to God or to another person. The, the 1913 uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines gratitude as um, warm and friendly feeling toward a benefactor. Kindness awakened by a favor received. You notice there's a, there's a benefactor in that definition. Someone has done something. It's personal. And it's personal for Hezekiah. In verse 19, the living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. It's personal for him. God has spared his life. He's given him healing. He's given him a new promise. He's given him forgiveness of sins. His thanksgiving is personal and it's expressed not, not in generalities but specifically to the benefactor, to God for his specific gifts. So to, to whom we give thanks is important. A naturalist giving thanks to nature makes no sense. I, uh, I have to confess that I, I'm a Seinfeld fan. The show Seinfeld. And there's so many good illustrations in that show, and I try not to use them here, but this one is is too good. So, in Seinfeld, the character Elaine, that George and his girlfriend are going to go down to the cafe, and and Elaine asks them, well, just bring me up a big salad. So George and his girlfriend, Julie, eat, and then they get the big salad, and George insists on paying for the salad, and they bring it up, but Julie's carrying the salad. If you've seen this show, George is this miser. He's really funny about money. But Julie hands the salad to Elaine, and Elaine thanks her. And of course, George is aghast at this and very, very upset. And I think they end up breaking up over the the big salad situation. But the point is... To whom we give thanks is important. George paid for the big salad. So, 
Thanksgiving is personal. We need to give thanks to the benefactor, to the gift giver. The best way to um, express gratitude to the gift giver uh, is to speak to the gift giver. Heidelberg Catechism 116 asks, Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Part of the answer is, Prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness. Prayer is the chief part of our thankfulness. It is good for us to to feel gratitude in our hearts for our blessings and a God-oriented sense of satisfaction in our hearts is a worshipful expression in itself, but that feeling should also give birth to, to verbalization of thanksgiving. If we have a hard time finding something to be thankful for, I, we should start counting our blessings. Because we're so easily blinded by the pain or the inconvenience of life that sometimes those things get away in the way of, of our recognition of our blessings, of which we have many. If we were to sit down and start to write out a list, I think we could break the 100 barrier in a matter of, of minutes. But also... Don't keep your list to yourself. Uh, Thanksgiving is meant to be spread. And that gets to the second exhortation. Express thanks in your family. Express thanks in your family. And it will bear fruit. Um, Thanksgiving is, is pedagogical. Thanksgiving teaches, especially children, I think. Again, in, in verse 19b... Hezekiah says that the Father makes known to the, chi- to the children your faithfulness. So in other words, if, if God keeps them alive, He can make known God's faithfulness to His children. When God dammed up the waters of the Jordan in the flood stage so that the people could cross through, He, he, he allowed two, two million people, one million, to cross through. And, and when they crossed through the Jordan, He said, take twelve stones and pile them up so that people can see these twelve stones. And He says in Joshua, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. They're teaching, they're passing along the faithfulness of God to the next generation. I've been thinking about what does cultivating an atmosphere of gratitude in the home look like? Uh, How will that affect our home life? And it's important, before I talk about this, there's an interesting distinction. that when, you, when, when you're preaching, you're preaching God's Word, and there's this ideal that's very lofty, and sometimes there's a danger of thinking that like, I have achieved that lofty goal. And that's a dangerous thing to think. Uh, C.S. Lewis puts it this way, Those like myself whose imagination far exceeds their obedience are subject to a just penalty. <laughs> We easily imagine conditions far higher than any we have really reached. If we describe what we have imagined, we may make others and make ourselves believe that we've really been there. So I want to tell you before I get into this that my imagination far outweighs my obedience in this area. And yet, uh, as J.I. Packer comments on Lewis's quote, he's, and this is a text we've already read, but Second Corinthians 4.13, I believed and so I spoke. I believe these things to be true, so I'll tell them to you in hopes that we can all 
grow a little closer to the ideal. So what, what is the fruit of, of thankfulness in the home? Just a few examples. What if we were to thank God in our trials or even for our trials? Like Hezekiah, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. We could model confidence in God's faithfulness and providence and fatherly chastisement in our lives. If instead of complaining, we thank God for our trials. Or similarly, thanks in want, like we're lacking something that we want, that we desire. Um, thanksgiving and contentment go together like peas and carrots. We could model for our family's contentment by following Paul's example, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And it doesn't have to be material want or lack of food. It could be anything that we want. We desire something and we can't have it and we whine about it instead of thanking God in the midst of it. Or what about thanksgiving and success or in our gifting? You know, we can tell our kids, you're, you're so smart or you're so pretty or you've worked so hard to achieve this goal. Good for you. Those are good things uh, to tell our kids. But what if we said it more, you're really intelligent. Steward that gift that God gave you. Isn't it amazing that He gives us good gifts to glorify Him? Or, or thank God that He blessed your efforts. It's James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Or what if we were more thankful to each other? What, what, what image would that give to our families? What could we teach our kids if we thank God uh, for them, say, in the context of correction? Like Paul in 1 Corinthians, when he's about to really lay down some, some law and correct some people, he begins the letter, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that God was given, has given you in Christ Jesus. Or here's one, one more example. What about thanking God for the death of the saints? An odd one, but what would that teach our children about our hope in glory? See, th- Thanksgiving is pedagogical. It teaches in the family. It puts to death the sins of greed or gluttony. It's a powerful, powerful thing. So a major a tick in the positive column for God to keep Hezekiah alive was that he could, in the spirit of gratitude, pass on a knowledge of the faithfulness of God to his children. So I say, would, would that we undertake that pedagogical task of thankfulness in our homes um, to the spread of the glory of God to the next generation. Now, it doesn't stop in the home. Thanksgiving continues to flow outward into corporate worship. That's the third exhortation. Share thanksgiving with the people of God. Share thanksgiving with the people of God. If thanksgiving yields a harvest of fruit in the nuclear family, it will also in the family of God. The Christian life, as you know, cannot be divorced from the people of God. I thought of an illustration this week. Imagine a bride um, ready for for her wedding and as she's about to go into the the wedding, she slams her pinky in the car door and her pinky comes off. Okay, now, father of the bride walks the bride down the aisle. Would he carry the pinky 
down the aisle? Who, who gives this man? Her mother and I do. Right? Will the grooms, you know, say, will the groom take her pinky to have and to hold? It's, it's silly, but sometimes we try to live the Christian life in isolation like that, and, and we cannot do that. We're members of the bride of Christ. If we live in isolation from the bride, then we're not members of the bride, and thus we're not living as members of Christ either. Christian life is a shared life and a life of community. And Thanksgiving is a part of that life. It's meant to be shared in the body. You know, my heart leapt with gratitude when Stan told me on the phone that there was no cancer in his bone. And it produced in me a vocal response, Praise the Lord. Praise God, brother. Thank Him. Hezekiah's response of gratitude for his salvation from death was to bring praises into the assembly. He says in verse 20, The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. One of the coolest biblical images for me of corporate thanks is in Nehemiah chapter 12, after they've rebuilt the wall and at the dedication of the wall. Nehemiah appoints two choirs of thankers. Two choirs and they start on the wall and they work their way around singing thanks to God and end up at the temple to worship Him together. That's a beautiful image. And how much better is that corporate thanksgiving than say, okay, the wall's done now, everybody go home and thank God. So let, let's be conscious about giving thanks together. If you're thankful, share it. You, call me up. I'll be happy to rejoice with you. Call up your other brothers and sisters. Or, or when we're doing requests for prayer, bring up praises of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving finds its ultimate expression in the joining of our voices together in thanksgiving and, and in prayer. Now, before we close, I just want to comment briefly on the ultimate reason we give thanks. And as we go into this Thanksgiving week, as we celebrate together here this morning, um, and as we spend time with family this week, or, or if we don't, if we're at odds with our family, if we're lonely, or if we feel like our earthly blessings are, are sparse right now, uh, we should always keep in the forefront of our mind the ultimate reason for our thanksgiving. 2 Thessalonians 2 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our Gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we know Christ, we have two lives full of to the brim of untold blessing, this life and the eternal life to come. Notice the preceding verses in Second Thessalonians 9, uh, 2, 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the context in which our salvation is couched here. 
And I was one who should have been condemned because I did not believe the truth. I had pleasure in unrighteousness. I refused to love the truth and be saved. I was headed to eternal conscious damnation separated from the favor of God. But thanks be to God, He chose me, it says. He chose me to be with you all in community and to be saved and to be set apart by the Holy Spirit to believe the truth of the apostolic gospel. Not just you know, to be reconciled or, or removed from, from torment to a sort of neutral position, but he says that I would receive the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate reason to give thanks. And no token of praise and thanksgiving can ever repay God for such a gift and praise God He doesn't want to be repaid. So this thanksgiving, thank God for His grace in making you a sinner, a partaker of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To this end, He has given us life. To to personally thank Him for His unmeasurable kindness, to thank Him in our families, and to share in thanksgiving together as a body of Christ, and to spread that thanksgiving as far and as wide as possible while we have breath. I'll close again with, with some verses from 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. But thanks be to God, who in Christ Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient? for these things. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's take our hymnals once again. Stand sing. Now thank we all our God. 98.